14th installment of Persons in Crisis. And today we're looking at probably one of the greatest, uh, most intense people in crisis, and that is the person Job and the book that bears his name. Some people who aren't um, used to the Bible from time to time will come to me and say, can you tell me what the deal is on this book of Job? And uh, I understand it's spelled the same way. But let's stand together and uh, let's um, read the biblical text. I'll read, and of course it'll be on the screen for you in just a moment. Um, but I just want to say this as we begin this morning. When we read the book of Job, it is very, very intense. And uh, we're dealing this morning with a topic of suffering. And of course, we have a number of people in our congregation who are suffering and going through very uh, difficult times. And so I want you to know that I am very aware of that. And I want to treat this subject with the absolute uh, seriousness. Um, our text this morning is a long one. Uh, we're going to begin reading in uh, Job chapter 1 verse 6 and then we're going to read right through to Job chapter 2 uh, verse 10. And uh, this is what it says. Uh, whoa, that's the wrong, uh, that's not the right, um, we want today's if we can. Um, we'll do that in just a moment. We'll wait for them for a second. And then we'll get it. This was a good sermon, though. I remember this one. Somebody's going to help us, right? Okay, good, good, good. I see hands up there. Tell me when we're ready. For those of you at home, you can go get a glass of water or something. For those of you in the auditorium, don't you dare go anywhere. <laughs> Just kidding. This is the time for these Todd jokes. But I don't have any pirates of the Caribbean today. <laughs> Which was very good. Very good. Uh, how are we doing? Uh, I'm getting this hand one. It's coming. Oh. Ah. You're beautiful. We love you. Thank you very much. Are we ready? Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. 
Only against him do not stretch out your hands. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when, the, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in his oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I am the only one left that I've escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job And then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Interesting line. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And for those of you who have heard that and don't know the biblical story, this is where that famous line comes from. And verse 22 tells us that in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he has given for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of pottery, broken pottery, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from the Lord and shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for again for your love for us in Jesus Christ that you have exhibited and demonstrated with such generosity, with such graciousness, with such extravagance. And for the work and ministry of your Holy Spirit that the Lord enables us to participate in what you have done in Jesus Christ. And it makes, he makes it possible and available in our lives. And so we ask this morning, 
over this intense, serious text and subject, that you would give us a voice to speak, that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to perceive. And by that same Holy Spirit would help us to live out what it means to be the disciples of the living Lord Jesus Christ in practical, meaningful ways in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, where we get our services. Help us, we pray, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, besides giving us a background to our story into the life of our person in crisis, Job, there are some other things that our text tells us. First of all, about the mysterious heavenly counsel of God. The inhabitants of the unseen realm are required to present themselves to God Almighty and to give an accounting of their actions and their activities. The holy angels of heaven, the cherubim and the seraphim are there. The ben Elohim, the sons of God are there. And of course, Satan himself is there as well. Now, we also know some about this mysterious heavenly counsel of God from other texts in the Bible as well. And those are in your notes. And as an aside for those of us that enjoy studying the Bible, if we compare Job chapter 1 verse 6 and Job chapter 2 verse 1, it helps us to understand the puzzling nature of the creatures that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 verse 2, where it talks about the sons of God being attracted to the daughters of men and taking them as their wives, a text that comes up over and over again. But our text in Job this morning also tells us about the fact of how God protects us. Verse 10 of chapter 1 tells us what Isaiah 5, 5 and Zechariah chapter 2, 5 also tells us that God has set a hedge of protection around his people. Did you know that? That God has set a hedge of protection around you as the son and daughter of God, around us as the people of God. He has set a hedge of protection around us. And also we understand that from this text that Satan is bounded by God. And yes, bounded is a word. It means that God has set limits to Satan's power and authority. Now we are told in other places in the Bible that Satan is called the prince of demons. He is also referred to as the prince of the power of the air. And we know from what the Bible tells us that Satan has been, been allowed and allotted a certain amount of power and authority. And he knows this as well because if you return to Luke chapter 4 and the temptations of Jesus, this is one of the things that Satan actually tempted Jesus with. 
He brought him up onto a mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And then he said, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And so while we understand that Satan has been allowed, allotted a certain amount of power and authority, we also are learning from this text here in Job that God has, has Satan on a short leash. Which among other things means this. That nothing can happen to us that God does not allow. Did you hear that? Nothing can happen to you. Nothing can happen to me. Nothing can happen to us as God's people unless God allows it. Now, there are two ways primarily in which Satan gets to us or has access to our lives. The first one, of course, is obvious, is when we open the door and give Satan access to our lives through our sin, our disobedience, and our unfaithfulness. And this is why we read in 2 10 verses 3 to 6, for though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to demolish strongholds or destroy strongholds. But listen to what it says in verse 5. We, you and I, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The other thing that we know from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 12 is this, that we have been given by God supernatural power in order to protect ourselves. We call it the armor of the Lord. But the second way... And strange way that Satan can have access to our lives, to your life and to my life, is when God opens the door. That he lifts the gate. And he allows Satan to have access as we read in our text this morning. Suffering has a history, writes Eugene Peterson. The difficulties that come into our lives aren't arbitrary intrusions. They're elements in a complex web of interconnecting sin and mercies. This doesn't mean that we can draw diagram lines of causation and responsibility in our suffering. What we need to know is that suffering is neither an impersonal force nor a cut and dried moral punishment. We're implicated in a world of sin and sometimes ours and sometimes others and therefore a world of suffering. And then there is this. And I want you and us to keep this in mind. Is that we have a loving God. And if we are willing to, 
And if we can trust Him, God will only do what is best for us in the long run. Even though we may not understand it, and even though it does not make sense, what is happening to us. The medieval mystics were very fond of saying this, that our situations of extremities are often God's opportunities. And I love what John Claypool once said. John Claypool said that the loveliest truth that I know is that God lives at the end of our ropes. Isn't that good? That God lives at the end of your rope. That God lives at the end of my rope. And so that brings us then to Job, our person in crisis. Now if anyone, and I've said this a bunch of times, if anyone qualifies as a person in crisis, I think we would all agree that it's Job. Now Job's story is believed to have taken place around the time of Abraham which is way back in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Matter of fact, some people actually believe that the book of Job is the oldest book chronologically in the Bible. Now Job the individual is probably the one person who has experienced more personal loss, grief, and suffering than any other person who has ever lived. So much so <clears throat> that some people have suggested that his story and his life is hyperbole. And what that means that in some ways that example that his experience is so extreme that how is it possible that all of this could happen to one person? But we know that the way of Job is the way of Jesus. And when we look at the way of Jesus and we look at the way of Job and we look at the way of people that we know who have suffered, we know that nobody is fast-tracked to maturity. There is no fast-forward button. There is no scrub technology to maturity. And this is true for you and for me, for us, as it was for Job, and it was for Jesus. The Bible tells us that the way of Jesus was that he was made perfect through suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, that a disciple is not above his teacher and a servant is not above their master. So why would we think it strange when we suffer? If it be true of Jesus, 
Is it not logical that it would be also true of those of us who follow him? That we might share in the same fate as he did to some degree? In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19 says this, and many of us have read it, Beloved, beloved, that's a good way to start a topic on suffering, beloved. Remember, we have a loving God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, a loving God, while doing good. So on the one hand, we know that God's way is the way of Jesus. It is the way of Job. But on the other hand, when our way becomes difficult and we experience crisis and suffering, we lose sight of this. And it can leave us with conflicted faith. This is what Job is experiencing in Job chapter 23, verses 2 to 9. Listen to what he says. My my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might fall, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. There an upright man can argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, and he is not there. I go backward, and I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. And then then he turns the right hand, but I do not see him. What Job is saying is simply this, that God does not always explain himself. God does not always explain his actions or lack of actions. And so when God remains silent, We are left wondering and inquiring and questioning and searching for answers. And one of the answers that comes to the surface more and more and more often than not is, where is God? 
Where is God? Someone who is famous for their suffering and writing about it is Clive Staples Lewis. C.S. Lewis was 50 years old, over 50 actually, when he met and fell in love with and married a lady by the name of Joy Davidman. Joy died of cancer four years after their wedding. And Lewis, whose heart was broken when he wrote these words in a grief observed, said this. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you are tempted to feel His claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or it feels, welcome with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. (coughs) And after that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. And that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present and commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent in our time of trouble? Lewis is not just talking about grief, but about the injustices of life and the fact that sometimes life is unfair. And to add insult to injury, the seemingly silence of God is hard to bear. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential writers, of course, in modern church history. And ironically, he wrote more about joy than he did about anything else. And he actually said that joy is the serious business of heaven. But like us, Lewis's faith was conflicted. He struggled with what he believed to be true. He doubted at times. Like us. Conflicted faith is a normal part of our journey as Christians, and it is okay. Because it was okay for Jesus. In Gethsemane, Jesus struggles to stay the course when he prays these words, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But not as I will, but as you will. And on the cross, Jesus is struggling with God's silence and we hear him say these famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I mean, are not these words of Jesus the epitome of conflicted faith? Oh, and if we think that Jesus wasn't conflicted at times and we have not paid enough attention to the biblical text. The story of C.S. Lewis's life is called The Shadowlands. And I think that that's a good name, a good designation for this life, for our lives, especially in times of struggle, in times of pain, in times of hardship and disappointment and trials. This is also how Psalm 23 verse 4 describes life on this planet. The psalmist said that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil. It is a valley of shadow, of death, of cancer, of sickness, pain, loss, heartache, disappointment, disability, rebellion, and sin. And living in the valley of the shadow causes us to ask questions. Is God punishing me? Have I sinned and disobeyed Him? Have I been abandoned? And of course, why? But thankfully, we are not left there in the valley of the shadow. Because Psalm 23 verse 4 says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you know why? Do we know why? Because of this. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. We have a loving God. An old rabbi once said, Despair is presumptuous. It is saying something about the future that we have no right to say. If God can make the things that are are out of the things that are not, and can make dead things come to life again, who are we to set limits on what that kind of potency might do? with what we have done. Now that brings us back to our person in crisis, to Job. For us, of course, Job's life and Job's loss and his attitude and disposition is an example for us. We know from our text, the Bible tells us twice. At the end of verse at the end of chapter 1 and then at the end of our text in chapter 2, that in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. When his wife unwisely suggested to him that he should curse God and die, and he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we not receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And we are told in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
the author, Frederick Buechner, and came to, life, came to faith in his late 20s. And he said that when he began to take the Bible seriously, his greatest surprise was how again and again the seemingly worst things were never the last things. Beekner discovered what Job and so many other people of faith have learned that God always seems to have something amazing up his sleeves. And this is why Job was able to declare in Job chapter 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. Do we believe that this morning? Do you believe that God knows the way, your road, your path, even in the midst of your difficulty? He knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. I want to share with you today a story about a person that I know and a person that you, many of you also know. I'm going to leave them anonymous and I've asked their permission to share their story. She was born into a family where her father would sexually abuse her from the age 2 to 12. She married a man who would abuse her, who would beat her regularly. She suffered three miscarriages until she finally gave birth to a son, an only son. Later, in his early adult life, this only son was killed in a car crash. And then, the grand, they had a grandchild from this son's marriage. And this only grandchild was also killed in a vehicle accident. And then she married a good man. But in time, he developed what would turn out to be, at times, debilitating mental health-related issues. And then recently, he was diagnosed with cancer. And to make matters worse, she herself, this person that I know and some of you know, was diagnosed with cancer as well. Now, is this not a recipe for bitterness and anger? To have all those things happen in one lifetime that isn't over yet. But no, this person that I know and some of you know is one of the most patient, kind, gentle, and generous people I have ever known with an attitude and a smile that would knock you down. But when, but he knows the way that I take. 
And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Will I? Will you? Will we? Someone once said that the worst of times can do the best of things. So when certain things happen, bad things, difficult things, unexplainable things, and we wonder why, and we ask the question, where, where is God in the midst of such happenings? Job teaches us this, that there is a mystery who stands behind all reality. And when we remember that the mystery who stands behind all of reality is none other than our loving God, it can deepen rather than destroy our faith. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. And we sang a song during the worship set, Lord, I need you. And I'm going to ask them to come and I'm going to ask them to sing that for us in just a moment. So while they're making their way here to the platform and getting ready, I want the rest of us at home, if we can, and here in the room, just close our eyes for a moment. Pain, suffering, loss, disappointment, grief, sin, rebellion. When things happen in your life and in my life and our lives that does not make sense to us. And we ask the question, why? God, what in the world is your plan in all of this? Because he knows the way that we take. And we don't get an answer. And you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. And so if that is you, if that is you online and you identify exactly with what I'm talking about, I want you to know that there is a mystery who is our loving God who stands behind all that happens and does not happen in our lives. He knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I will come forth as gold. Will I? Will you? Will we? I don't know about you, but I got to tell you that this song that the worship team is going to play and sing for us is true, is it not? I need thee every hour. 
I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet and change your position. And before we pray together, I'm going to ask the musicians to sing this for us. Pastor Scott. that how we feel this morning, some of us? I'm sure that it, not today, it has been in the past. And if not in the past, then today it will be in the future. Pastor Sherry, she loves to have people pray in a receptive position. And so what she gets us to do is She gets us just to open our hands in the posture of reception. Would you do that this morning in the room and online? Would you just 
put your hands in this position as in the posture of humility and in the posture of receiving. Father, no words could be sung that are more true for those of us today who are experiencing suffering and pain and hardship and disappointment and those of us whose faith is conflicted or has been or will be in the future. And so Lord, today, as a posture of our heart and of our spirit, we hold our hands out to you and we say to you, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Would you grant me your grace, your love, your comfort, your peace, your healing, your restoration in Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit. Father, Lord, I need you. Would you just tell them this morning, afresh anew, online or in the room, just say it. I need you. He knows. He knows the way that you take. He knows your path. You are not abandoned. You're not alone. And when he has tried me, when he has tried you, we will come forth as gold. But Lord, we need you. How desperately I need you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. One last time, Pastor Scott, and let's just worship the Lord together as we do. Lord, I need you. this room and this atmosphere and go out and remember that the moment we leave this room the presence of God does not leave us or we do not leave the presence of God no he goes with us when we get in our car when we go home when we go to work there's never a time that we are out of his presence you believe that I do God bless you church wonderful rest of the day and now you can put your mask back on.